Welcome to Fangirl Happy Hour. I am here today with the completely delightful Jenny from Reading the End or the Hi. Reading the End bookcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, you're so great. I'm so happy that you chose to come on. And oh, I'm so happy Anna. you asked me. Although, you know, sad about the circumstances. Oh, yeah. But Anna will be back soon. Yay. So we're here to talk about three different things. So we're going to, this, this episode is going to be so, I'm not even sure what people are going to make of it. We're going to talk about the plague of terrible book slash, <laughs> like book lists slash quotas. Uh, then we're going to talk about what we want out of our nonfiction reading, which we haven't really touched on, Fangirl Happy Hour, much nonfiction reading. And then, exciting times, Jenny made me a literary fiction starter pack. Yes, I did. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I picked only the best books. But first, we're going to start with, like, what are we reading? Which I am stealing directly from your podcast. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I wasn't expecting this question, so I'm unprepared. Um, I just finished reading Annihilation, the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy. And I did not care for it. I'm oh, sorry oops. to say. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be more adventure but it was actually, that. yeah, but it's actually not adventure at all. My expectations were all wrong. I'm probably not going to read the other two. I don't think they become more adventure as they go along. I'm mostly excited about that series because they're making a movie out of it. That's why I read it at this time. I saw that and I liked some of the cast people and I thought I would improve The Shining Hour. No. But No. I haven't read it yet. Jody sent me these really nice copies from the UK. But, like, I'm having this thing where I'm having a lot of trouble reading books by dudes because <sighs> I just worry <laughs> about getting punched in the face. It's not a yeah. good situation. No, I really feel that. Yep. So. I, I, I just had that experience, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You, know, you know the struggle. struggle. I, I do. The struggle is real. Well, what are you reading? I am currently reading a book for review called The Vangret by Peter Newman. Uh-huh. And how is it? It's omniscient narrator on speed. Oh. I mostly read third person limited. Like in, yeah, fan- like in fandom, right? Like that's mostly what you get. You get third person. And most of the books that I read are not in first person. They're in third person. So it's just been really strange to read this book in this omniscient narrator. Because the main character, who is called the Vangrant, does not speak oh. uh, at all. So most of what's happening is being described to you by this, you know, omniscient person. Who is describing everything this guy is doing, and it's about him carrying a like pure human baby across a demonic wasteland. So basically, the movie Willow. And yeah, but not as, <laughs> not as hopeful as Willow. This book is gory. Okay. And I am also reading a like a nonfiction book. Yay! Is, hey, relevant to our interests. Yeah, except it's not good. <laughs> I don't know who the authors are. I don't have it next to me, but the title is Grit to Great. And like in the first 14 pages, there's like a rant about millennials oh, no. and how children were given trophies for participation and how they think they're awesome. And <sighs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry about that. That's, that's unfortunate. We're both, we're all like all the books we mentioned. Are like we're all like, ha! Ah, our reading's not going too good right now. Yeah, I know, that's true. Yeah, I need to find the next thing needs to be amazing. But you're coming off the Raven King. Yes, I am. Well, and so that's the other problem. Uh, I'm coming off a really good book, and now I have a book hangover, and nothing will satisfy me. But the Raven King was good, right? Yep. A lot of our listeners uh, read the series. I'm assuming, and. They might not. We can't, we can't spoil it, obviously, because I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited for you to read it so we can talk about it. But in case they're concerned, she... Yeah, no, it's good. It's she good. sticks to landing? Yeah, I think she very much sticks to landing. I'm excited. So to begin, we're going to talk about book lists. Book lists that are published around the internet and... <laughs> all around the internet, too. All it's not... over. There's really no one culprit. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, and lists that will tell you to read, like, the 10 books you need to read before you die. And you're reading the list, you're scrolling down, and it's like, oh, it's all white dudes. It's all white, straight, cisgendered dudes. Or you're reading a list, like, 20 science fiction and fantasy books you should read, and it's all, like, white people. There's men and women, but it's all white people. 
as far as the eye can see. This happened recently because I got really upset. <laughs> you did. You were salty. Uh, I was real salty. It was like it was. I was. It was like an ocean just <laughs> crashing <laughs> on the shore because this author of this new book that just came out called Sleeping Giants published a list at the Barnes and Noble science fiction blog, like books with great science or whatever, and all like he had one woman. And the one woman that he talked about, he was like, there's no science. It's not really science. And I'm just like, oh, that's the whole point of the book. (laughs) I was so upset. It's so frustrating. It's it's really frustrating. And I think... I think that it causes, I mean, this phenomenon, I think, causes a broader uh, ripple effect because the more you make lists that are all white guy science fiction, for instance, the more people, when they think of science fiction, will think of white guys. Uh, So it's a problem that recreates itself, really. Yes, it just continues over and over. One of the frustrating parts about it for me in particular is that it's a visibility issue. Yeah. That not just creates a ripple effect, but also like the our communities are small. Like we're small bookish communities. So if these lists are going out and they're like themed, which because a lot of them are themed now, and you know your book fits there, but you're like not even a mid-list author. You're like, oh, there I'm not there. Of course I'm not there. If you're a marginalized voice, you're like, I'm definitely not there. I'm not even going to open this list. <laughs> so it's like double awful. Because, like, all these readers are, like, seeing the same books over and over again. Over and over again, yeah. And that is what I think is – that's why I think it's baffling that people resist trying to diversify the contents of those lists. Because to me, it seems like what we're asking for is for people uh, who write professionally about a thing to be more familiar with examples of that thing. And that seems like – that seems like what everyone would want. It seems like that would be a shared goal. Part of the problem is that a lot of these sites that are running these lists are their advertising is based on page views. So if they're making a list, they want to put familiar books on it so it gets like shared more widely, I guess. Like they want to put buzzy authors on it so that way it can get spread across social media in a sure. more effective way. I hear that. And I also am thinking of a site like Book Riot, which I know will not allow lists to go live on their website with all white or all male authors. And getting, I mean, not to slander Book Riot, but I know that advertising is an important revenue stream for them. And I know that getting clicks is important to them. And I think what they try and do is they gear their lists towards um, topical things that are happening, like movies that are coming out, et cetera, and just do other things to, to make the lists appealing to a broader audience. And I think also the fact that their aesthetic is geared more toward diversity is a strength of the site. Yes, Book Riot is great. I really love all the lists they put out. They're really thoughtful about it. They're not leaving out like white people. Yes, they're not at all. And that's what everyone seems to think is going to happen. And they panic at that very idea. Oh, no. How, <laughs> a, a list of totally like non-white people. What do yeah. we do? Sky's falling. Oh, no. It's just so... Like, I don't, I don't get why they get so stressed out about it. And then you get, you know, the inevitable, like, how dare you ask us to use a quota argument? Maybe a quota will be good for you. Just, to, <laughs> just like as training wheels. Give it a, give it a try. Like, yeah, well, and, and for me especially, because I don't know, maybe five or six years ago in the book blogging world, which is where I come from, it started to be people started talking more about reading more diversely. And I started feeling uncomfortable with how many white authors I read. So I did. I instituted a quota system and I tracked it in a spreadsheet. And I really feel that it has improved my reading a lot. And also, like I've discovered great new authors. And I've because I wanted diverse book recommendations, I started following new people on social media. And it's been great. It has only, you know, expanded my world. I haven't, I've never felt like I'm missing out on anything since I started doing this. I didn't even go that hard. When I started, I just started adding people to my to be read list. Like if I added a white person to my to be read list, I had to go add somebody of color. Oh, nice. Because I mean, when I'm at the library or at a bookstore, like I'll pull up that list specifically Mm -hmm. going, hmm, what looks good? What does this bookstore have? So the bookstore didn't really work out that well because... A lot of the books on my list were like women and people of color. Yeah. And it's not the only bookstore like I really have here are like Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I, I am super lucky on that front because my public library is 
inexplicably amazing for a city of my size and well, for a city of this size. Um, and they have a lot of independent fiction, which means a lot of historically marginalized voices. So that's super lucky. I'm really jealous of your library, I'll be honest. Oh my God, it's so great. Every <laughs> so, time I move away, I'm like, this library was so good and I didn't appreciate it enough. My library does its best. Yeah, well, I think, yeah. <laughs> they all do. I mean, I'm not really that impressed with my Y librarian uh, most of the time. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I have some notes on her. <laughs> <laughs> Extensive notes on how the way she needs to improve. But like the person who orders generally for the whole library has been great about ordering me like off the wall things that aren't generally off the wall in the science fiction and fantasy field but are so in like you know my community like yeah. i just don't like they ordered long hidden which I came out of a like a kickstarter i think oh that's amazing that's a like a niche book for the community i live in yeah yeah and but they ordered it and it's apparently it does okay because sometimes i will go check the little shelf where it's supposed to be and it's not there even oh that's adorable that you check up on it i'm just like go out there little book do your best oh man i made my library order a history of namibia a thing i am confident nobody wants but me but i never check on it i just assume no one's ever going to check it out again Oh, that's sad. i mean sure somebody will (laughs) they should namibia is great but i but i'm not sure they will Lady Business makes a list every year. It's actually coming up soon, in fact, Yay. of summer reading list books that you can read for the summer mm-hmm. because almost the entire internet will do like beach books. Who reads on the beach? Number one. Not me. I, I swim on the beach. And like, who goes to the beach to read? I mean, I guess these people exist, but I'm like, wouldn't you just rather be inside? Oh, <laughs> I, have very, I have very fair Irish skin, so I really can't. I can't be out on the beach for very long at all. <laughs> <laughs> who does this? Who reads on the beach? Who reads about pool? I mean, I guess these people exist because the literary community is convinced that these people <laughs> exist. You know, 20 great reads for the poolside. <laughs> yeah, let's find out about that. Let's let's crunch some numbers. I want to know. Our very few listeners who, like, have you just poll? Like, send us an email. If yeah, let's ever... know. I'm curious now. If you've ever read on a beach or beside a pool. Is that a thing? And if so, have you done it often? Because I have in my life read by a pool or on a beach but not for very long and not very often and just because i was forced to be there <laughs> they wouldn't let me go read in the car it's too hot for days stay where i can see you Aww. so yes so yeah the whole internet is going to be putting out these lists and they're all especially the science fiction and fantasy ones although they are not the only offenders they're just going to be a bunch of white people white yep. dudes and yep. it's going to be awful. And a lot of people are going to be erased. So Lady Business like deliberately goes and makes our own list based. Like I think last year we did stuff from like May to September. Uh-huh. But then a lot of people complained because they're like, oh. these books aren't out yet. I'm like, oh, Aww. that's a good point. I hate so, that. So yeah. this year we're doing January through like like July 31st. Oh, nice. Okay. That's a good, that's a good span of time. And so we're like really, I'm like really excited about it. I've been making, I've been like collecting books and it's not actually that hard to find a diverse makeup of a list. Yeah, this is my thing. It's actually really not that hard. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. I mean, when I first started keeping track of this in my in my reading spreadsheet, like the data nerd that I am, I was aiming to read, I think, 25% non-white authors. And I had a hard time initially. And this year, without trying at all, I am comfortably reading slightly less than 50% white authors. It's just as easier because I'm looking for it and I've been looking for it. So I know more places to look. And I think the more places that there are to look, such as lady business, Mm -hmm. champions of awesome sci-fi and diversity that y'all are, I think the more places there are to look, the more people, it magnifies, you know, it it builds outward. And a lot of this is coming from editorial decisions too. So if you're an editor of like a blog and you're like releasing these lists, that's not good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I just like, I always want to email the editors of these blogs and go, hey, listen, this is like really basic one on one stuff. Why did you let this through? <laughs> you know, black folks can write science fiction too, right? You, like, you realize that women have been here and <laughs> for a while now, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's troubling. And I think it reveals the um, lack of thought that goes into 
Making these lists, which to me is very disappointing. mm -hmm, Someone once told me they were like, oh, well, I was under some pressure by so-and-so and and such and such to just go ahead and get it out. It just doesn't take that. Like, ask some, go on Twitter and say, hey, what's some good sci-fi by women and non-white people? And I think this was in the context of like an author like made a list and then sent it in. I'm like, you had to put it out. You had to. You had to. Are you and- like if you didn't you would have lost your job really <laughs> and i was just like i would have gone back to that author and said this is great but i need you to add some more women or people of color what women and people of color as writers have helped you develop into the writer that you are yeah totally. who are those and- people and also you can make it part of the guidelines to begin with when you ask someone to write a list just say don't make it all white dudes please but they don't and then they have all these like excuses for what they didn't and that really gets me too. The when the excuses get trotted out, I'm like, oh man, you're not even interested in listening. Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's, this, it's really frustrating, and it's always the same excuses. Okay, if somebody was going to make a list of books, what advice would we give them if they were going to make, let's say, a fantasy list? Oh man, um, ten I fantasy would, books. Ten fantasy books. I would say. I mean, if it were me, I guess it would depend on what I wanted. If I were saying I want ten portal fantasy books then I would give different guidelines than just 10 fantasy books. But if it were me and I were asking someone to make a list of 10 fantasy books, I would say aim for a diversity in tone, time period in which it was produced, gender, and race. Please do that for me because I think that will make a more interesting list. That's, what That's a really add. interesting time period and tone. Yeah, those are things I would add because then they couldn't complain. I would be asking for a wide range of variety. Can you unpack those? Yeah, Um. so... With time period, like I would be thinking it would be neat if I just wanted a list of fantasy, I think it would be neat to have a list that incorporated maybe like one or two classics and as well as a bunch of modern stuff. Because I think one thing that a lot of writers fall into is if you say, hey, pick some fantasy books, they immediately go in their heads to the ones that they read when they were little, the classics, the ones they've read a million times. So they pick all old stuff, which because of the apparatus of publishing tends to be the stuff by white dudes. And they don't think as much about stuff that's come out more recently when there's more, <laughs> even if still not nearly enough, but more of a push for diversity in publishing. So that's why I would want, that's why I would bring up time period, just to put it in their heads. And tone? I don't, well, okay, I didn't think that much about tone. Um, but I, I think I would say I wouldn't want everything to be, for instance, super serious, high fantasy. Oh, so you would be like, you want a fantasy list and like that had high fantasy and then maybe like paranormal fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Urban and, and fantasy. Yeah. And also just differing levels of seriousness because I get bored with a list that's all really grim stuff or all really jokey stuff. I, I like there to be a mixture. You would be okay with like the list that had like Dino and Jones, but also maybe uh, Joe Abercrombie. <laughs> well, as I not was- specifically those <laughs> authors, but like. As, that's what you mean by tone, right? Yes, that's what I mean. Okay. By, yeah, Diana Wynne Jones, and I, I'm not that familiar with Joe Abercrombie, so let's say George R. R. Martin. Yes. Well, Joe Abercrombie is like super grimdark. Okay, like, all right. Then, I mean, yeah, like exactly. Super, then. super, super grim. Super, super amounts of grimdark in those books. <laughs> all right, good to know. So, yeah, those are, those are really good. That's a really good. Oh, now I'm going to have you make all my lists. <laughs> Great. I love making lists. I love choosing things. Uh, everybody has heard it here first. If you need a book <laughs> list, you can find Jenny on Twitter at Reading the End. No, seriously. Yeah, come come talk to me at uh, at Reading the End on Twitter because I would love to make you a list of anything. Anything. Uh, you, can you make a list about Namibia? Look, Renee, nothing would please me more. Um, my list about Namibia would be awesome things about Namibia because there's actually not that much current being published about Namibia. It's a really underappreciated nation. I don't mean to give you a hard time. I just think it's so fun that you have that so, like such a niche interest that I would never have... <laughs> I would never have pegged you for it all. It's a really good, it's a, it's, listen, it's just a really good country. It's a really good country. Ah, that was a good discussion about lists. Yes, it was. It was a good talk. Everybody should, should do better at making their lists. We gave you some good guidelines. And, and everyone should ask me for a list because I would be so happy to make one. You're going to be like, Renee, I have too many lists. (laughs) No, I'm not. That will never happen. (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check with you in like two weeks. How you doing okay, over there? With yeah, your... I know. I'm, I'm tempting fate right now. <laughs> 900 lists that you have to make for all our <laughs> listeners. I'm excited. I can do it. So next up, we're going to talk about nonfiction, which is definitely, I'm thinking, a topic that Fangirl Happy Hour has not really delved into because Anna has 9,000 jobs and therefore <laughs> only reads fiction. 
Yes. So this is something that the Reading the End bookcast has also not dived into because Whiskey Jenny never reads nonfiction. So at least once a month, I bring up the possibility of doing a podcast topic relating to nonfiction. And she's always like, no, remember, I still don't read nonfiction. I read nonfiction. I read so much nonfiction. Too much. Clearly what what, what needs to happen is that we need to just come on each other's podcasts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Segments about nonfiction. Let's see what's going down in the nonfiction world. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I talked about the nonfiction that I'm reading currently, which is not perfect. But <laughs> my thing with nonfiction is that I come from a really small town, and I was one of those kids that was smart. Like, I, I got things, except for math and science, really easily. So mm-hmm. everybody was like, oh, you're so smart. And then, you know, I left and I went to college, and turns out, being smart isn't the same as working hard. Yep. <sighs> I uh, luckily avoided that whole trap by going to a high school where nobody, everyone valued uh, math the most. So no one thought I was smart, which is great because I, I had to work really hard because it was a hard school. And also no one thought I was smart, so I couldn't get a big head about it. <laughs> oh, God. Everybody was like, Renee, you're so smart. As an adult then, um, what kind of nonfiction do you like to read the best? I mean, did, did all this... Uh, did college intimidate you out of yes it really did it did absolutely because i we would read all this nonfiction, and i would like have so many i would be constantly looking back now i realized what i was doing i was critiquing all this nonfiction we were reading but i was doing it in a way that was just like like that a person who doesn't really know how to critique yet who hasn't taught (laughs) those skills does it and so i was pissing my professors off Because it just sounded like I was constantly critiquing their ability to choose the material for their syllabus. And I feel really bad looking back. Really, academia really turned me off nonfiction in a really big way. So I ended up, actually, most of the nonfiction I ended up reading came out of fandom. Like, I would read a lot of, like, Spanish essays on, like, race and representation. And then I just, you know, I found more mainstream stuff that was discussing that. And that's really where I, like, cut my teeth on nonfiction. It was, like, the online long-form writing that's sort of gone away now. There's not a lot of long-form writing left. This was kind of in the period between, like, 2002 and 2006 when it was like really big on the internet all this long form stuff but like when that that started time yeah man memories (laughs) (laughs) so when that started going away i started reaching out to more books and unfortunately my public library again so where do you get your nonfiction recommendations and things? I mean, for stuff that you have access to? Because well, public libraries, I think, tend to have more like pop nonfiction. Yeah, they do a lot of self-help, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I have several books that are nonfiction out from the library right now. The one I talked about, Grit to Great. I also have a book by, I think, Jacqueline Novak, maybe, called How to Weep in Public. I don't know if I got her name right. Aww. And then I'm reading Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. Oh, I have that. I own that. Oh, did you have read it? I haven't read it yet. Oh, it's, okay. it's on my bookshelf. That's Don't tell my friend who gave it to me for Christmas. She's super nice. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read your book yet. Shh. <laughs> so it's mostly those kind of things. It also, they also do, like, there was, a, they also do, like, a lot of, like, science stuff. Uh, oh, feminism is not good. Ah, uh, yeah. Not surprisingly. It's not great. Race stuff is also not great. So I have this academic library. The areas in which it is strong are totally unpredictable to me like for a while there was um, a bunch of stuff I wanted to read relating to religion and history of religion and my library had like nothing that I wanted at all and then I was building myself a little syllabus about fandom studies and my library had like everything oh wow so I don't understand the system I have so many fandom books I think right now that I haven't actually read yet that you own yeah Oh, man, that's excellent. Um, Claire McBride, who writes for the literary omnivore. Oh, she's a genius. Yeah, she's so she's so smart about fan culture and like fan nonfiction. I she, loved what she, not to be a nerd, but I loved that thing she wrote to you for y'all, the history of, for Lady Business, the history of uh, Han Luke Slash. It was yes, so good. That was so great. I was so excited when she came to me with that <laughs> idea. I'm like, would this be okay? Yes, Claire. Oh, my God. Is it done? <laughs> Can I read it now? Let's publish it twice. <laughs> Uh, actually, I think I might go back and like promote it again. <laughs> so you should. It's so good. It's really good. And so she hooked, got me hooked into Henry Jenkins, who, sure. I had, 
who I'd kind of like not paid much attention to because I was like, oh, a dude writing about fandom. Okay. Yeah, I thought that too. I also have some books by the people who work on the Transformer Works and Cultures, whose names are now escaping me. This is sad. I've been in the OTW how long and I can't remember their names. <laughs> That's okay. I, I just That's think of them as Karen and Christina. I don't know their last names. It's terrible. But it's like fan fiction and fan community in the age of the internet. Oh, I think that's on my list. I think that's one of the ones that I have. My library has it as an ebook. I'm pretty yeah. sure. So I have, I have these, but I haven't read them yet because again, they run out of that problem of like, sometimes they just sound really academic. And as soon as a nonfiction book starts sounding academic, I check out like my brain just stop. Like I'm reading, but I'm not internalizing any of the sentences. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just like, I'm stupid and I won't understand this. So I'm not even going to bother. It's just not good. It's negative self-talk. That is negative self-talk. Also, I bet if you started, I feel like fan studies would be a good on-ramp to feeling less intimidated by academic nonfiction in general. You're right. I should give it a shot. Because I think that I started reading academic nonfiction because, try not to faint, I was really excited about Oscar Wilde. And so I started reading really basic biographies of him and then I started reading more specialized stuff. And because I was really interested in him, I read some really, really specialized stuff. And it just made me feel more comfortable with that kind of writing, I think. I'm sorry. I missed all of that because I fainted. What was the, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Do you like Oscar Wilde? Eh? <laughs> no, that's this actually so, a good idea. <laughs> this is so on brand for me. Everyone who knows me is like, oh, she mentioned Oscar Wilde in Namibia. Shocking. I like that. I like that. Uh, you can bring your interests to this podcast. It's happy hour. <laughs> I am nothing if not predictable. <laughs> That's what we do here. Bigger happy hour. We talk about our interests. <laughs> really incredibly niche interests. Yep. At length. But yeah, well, what I need for my nonfiction is definitely like kind of a conversational type of writing. Mm-hmm. It can't be t- too dense, and, but it also can't be like the grit to great book that I'm reading that spends like two paragraphs ranting about millennials and like generalizing. Uh. It can't be that either. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. I'm so yeah. That's, that's basically what that's that's so similar to what I wrote down. I I need a good balance for me. I think I need a good balance between theory and example. Like if everything's very abstract, even if it's a topic I care about, I'll lose interest. I I just need anecdotes and and examples to liven up what they're saying, and so that I can kind of get a hook into the ideas that they're discussing. And I realized because when I first started reading nonfiction, I realized that I was sort of just swallowing everything the author of the book told me and I mm-hmm. wasn't really critiquing it and then I started reading like multiple books on the same topic and I realized they were contradicting each other and I'm like wait this guy hang on this. a second I would be reading like books one two and three and the like authors one and three would be contradicting each other and I'd be like wait a second this seems this seems suspicious and <laughs> once that happened I realized I was slowly gaining like critical analysis skills yeah so i could so now half the time when i'm reading some nonfiction book and they're like citing some study and i'm like was this peer reviewed oh yeah <laughs> i'm much more suspicious than i used to be I'm, I'm that reader i'm like where are your like where are your citations yes i check citations actually this is something i have to say that college really did for me i took a science class the what like one of three science classes i had to take in college we had to do an assignment for every week of class where we picked a scientific article and we had to bring it to class and do a little abstract of what the article said, basically. And the professor would ask us questions about their methodology and different things just to make us think about how they were drawing these conclusions and like sample size and stuff like that. And it really just made me much less in awe of the scholarly apparatus. Like people can use really good endnotes and still be drawing bad conclusions. And full of shit. Yes. As the, as the way we say it back back home, full of shit. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I got the opportunity to learn that because I think I think it's really important when you're reading nonfiction. Yeah, I read this book last year called uh, The Confidence Code, talking about women and confidence and moving through professional worlds, and like they literally had like these multiple chapters over whether women and men had different types of brains. Oh my god, they went there. It's like. <laughs> Listen here, ladies. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. <laughs> so I don't know what you think you're doing here, but it's not going to work. Oh, mercy. I'm going to send all those people a copy of Delusions of Gender. No, everybody should read that book. I never read that book except for the first like three chapters, I think, even though Anna, um, Anna from Things Mean a Lot, told me I was smart enough to read this book, but it has so many numbers. <laughs> and I'm so 
like percentages and I'm like I need to co-read this with somebody but I like I hate to go to somebody and be like hi I'm dumb can you co-read this book with me and explain the math number one you're not dumb you're a genius number two I would totally co-read it with you I can't promise I could explain the math but I could at least be like yeah the math is confusing bro <laughs> you would even support my confusion yeah. the math, so I wouldn't feel so alone yes I should just read it and then come to you with questions. Be like, she said this. Because <laughs> I have an ebook. I can copy and paste stuff to you. Explain this lie. <laughs> I should. Oh, man. There's a lot of pressure. I'm not sure that I would be able to do that. But if I couldn't, you know, I could just be like, oh, it's incomprehensible to all humans. Sorry. I'm sure that it's like, <laughs> when I say explain this lie, I'm going to be gonna be like, oh, that's a feminist. That's, that's like feminism 101, Renee. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> really doubt it. Uh, so yeah, I- I'm just really picky with all that shit. It's, I'm trying to get better. Like I'm trying to branch out more because mm-hmm. I really I took this class with one of my favorite professors. In fact, uh, I followed him around. Like I took all his classes that were available. You are not the only person in the book blogosphere to tell me an identical story to this one. <laughs> exactly. So he was an American history professor, and he specialized in colonial American history and also like history of American West. And I took this one class over na- called Native Peoples with him, mm-hmm. and I loved the nonfiction he would have us read because it was like deconstructing colonialism and how the U.S. government was a complete douche nozzle to um, the Native people uh, in North America. And I loved all that all that nonfiction I read, and it was like accessible. And he never gave us something that was too hard to mm-hmm. read, even when he gave us like primary sources. And let me tell you, spending time in the archives reading <laughs> primary sources about some of these things that the U.S. government did. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Talk about having your patriotism destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> he was so good at like choosing books and primary sources and secondary sources that like really helped you understand what was being said. It's really sad, but like sometimes he will post his syllabuses online. <laughs> And I will go and I will just browse the selections, the reading selections, and I'll go and like find the books. And I'm oh, like, I, I actually bought one of the books. <laughs> I do so much nerdier things than that in pursuit of nonfiction. So that doesn't seem sad to me at all. That just seems like a normal way of getting nonfiction recommendations. <laughs> I'm like, I can't take any more classes with you and you're really glad about that, but I can stock your syllabus as well. Because you were so good at choosing nonfiction. Oh man, that's the way to do it. Yep. So yeah, that's... So my, my needs from nonfiction are pretty much don't treat me like I'm a master's student because I'm not. I come from the rural South and I would, did not have a good education. But also don't treat me like an idiot. Yes, because I can understand most things. I'm not, I might have to spend more time with it, but I can get there. Yep. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically all my recommendations too. This is a good point to transition into our literary fiction starter pack section where you're <laughs> going to make me a list. Yeah. Or you've made the list and you're going to tell me about it. I've made the list. I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, this was super hard. This was <laughs> so hard. I'm, I feel like you're going to say meh to some of my choices, but I, I know I, that's just the risk we run. Yes, it's fine. If Even if I say meh, I won't say it like meh. Oh, fail. <laughs> I will not. Okay, good. Um, all right. So I made a list of 10 um, and then I went back and looked at your requirements and realized I had to remove two, which is too bad because they're two of my favorites. You can mention them as an addendum at the end. I'll mention them as an addendum. Okay. That was my plan anyway. Okay, good. Okay. Um, because you stipulated that you did not want anything uh, with rape in it. Uh-huh, I did. And I chose two with rape in them and I apologize. That it's was okay. my mistake. But I think my list of seven is still really strong. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll just see. We'll see. Number one. Number one. Okay. Number one um, is Half of a Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. So this one's interesting. Adichie has rather famously talked about the danger of a single story. And what's amazing to me about this book, among other things, I mean, it's really well written. It's like a total page turner. It has multiple narrators, which I love. Half of a Yellow Sun deals with the Biafran War in Nigeria. And what's so impressive to me about this book is that she makes her characters' lives feel incredibly normal to this extent that when war breaks out, it's genuinely startling, even though you know it's coming. But you still can't really believe that this is actually happening to them and that their lives are being turned up upside down in this way. And it's just a really, really terrific book. I have never read anything by her except oh, for um, the little short essay thing she wrote. We Should All Be Feminists? Yes. 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 That was really good. Yeah, I really like her. I've read um, all three of her novels, and I love them. And I wish she would write 12 more novels immediately for me to read. How many novels does she have in total? Three, just three. Purple Hibiscus, 
Yeah, Purple Hibiscus, uh, Half a Yellow Sun, and her most recent one was Americana, which was also good. And if you don't feel like reading about Civil War, Americana is a totally valid substitute. Alrighty then. All right. So number two. Number two. Um, number two is Tell the Wolves I'm Home by Carol Rivka Brunt. It shockingly got very little attention when it came out. And I thought it was incredible. Um, it's a book about a girl in the 1980s whose most beloved uncle is dying of AIDS. Um, and it's about her grieving for him and also trying to find a way back to her relationship with her sister, which used to be very close and has now grown apart. It's honest about some of the uglier emotions we experience around grieving in a way that makes the softer emotions really valuable and lovely to read about. And it values kindness towards family in a way that I feel like I rarely, shockingly rarely see in fiction. I've never heard of this author either. You're just shocking me. Ah, she's so good. I thought this book was going to be the next enormous thing when it came out in, I don't know, 2012 or something. And then it, it, it sank without a trace. I feel like that. About a lot of books that I love. Yeah. Okay. Number three. three. This one did get attention, so I don't have to be the only one tooting this horn. Uh, We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves by Karen Joy Fowler. Do you know the premise of this one? I do not. Okay. Well, so the thing that made me want to read this book in the first place is actually not revealed until about a third of the way through the book, and I don't want to spoil it for our listeners, even though having it spoiled for me is what piqued my interest in the book. So if you want to send me a message on Facebook, I will tell you the thing. For now, I'll just say it's about a girl called Rosemary who used to have a sister and a brother and has lost both of them. And it's about science and ethics and family. And it's really, it's it's surprisingly funny. The subject matter is a little dark, but it is it is an impressively amusing book. And Karen Joy Fowler comes out of SF, so. Yeah, I feel like I've been wrecked to this before by somebody. Oh, it's so good. I loved it. I was so excited to read it. It did not let me down at all. Sweet. Adding to my, adding to read list. Yay. Number four. Number four. Um, number four is White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. Despite a like stunningly transphobic interlude in her most recent book, she's still an author I really like. She's unfailingly creative and really weird. Just the ideas she has are, are really strange. Um, and White is for Witching is my favorite one of her books. It's about a xenophobic house and the people who live in it. And as long as you can be okay with not always knowing exactly what's going on, it is a just a bonkers the ride. How, the house. The house. The house. Yeah. That's interesting. I did it's, not expect that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a really, I mean, I love a haunted house story and I especially love this particular twist to the haunted house that like the people it's haunting, you know, are immigrants and, and people the house doesn't approve of. I think the last haunted house story that, it wasn't really the house it's, it, itself, but I think like the last story that I read with like a house that does questionable things creepy shit yeah uh it was the shining girls by lauren bukes oh yeah yeah yep yep i read that so yeah that's the last like house story that i've read i'm gonna say this house is eerier oh good (laughs) wonderful (laughs) i'm excited yeah uh number what am i on five five Okay, my mother says I can't choose this because it's a classic everyone read in high school, but I agree to disagree, and I'm choosing it anyway. Um, the Chosen by Kaim Potok. Um, warning, there are no women in it at all. Uh, sometimes I like books about dudes also. This is a book about two uh, Jewish boys right at the end of World War II who become friends, even though their fathers are from very, um, very different strands of Jewish ideology and faith. And it's it's a really interesting look at the way at what happens I guess when love clashes with ideology and it's one of really not that many books that I've read that values um, platonic friendship as much as more than actually romantic love so I love it for that as well and this was the book that your mom was all you can't wreck that because she's read it before yes okay well, but I I've... really don't think I really don't think everyone reads it in high school I mean listeners tell me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure I'm not I don't I have never even heard of this author before see 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 she just thinks that because we read it in high school and I think we just read it in high school because my ninth grade English teacher was super cool my good ninth, at things my ninth grade English teacher was barely educated so <laughs> no we did not read this this author or this I book. I I don't even think it's because of that. I, I, I really just think it's the availability heuristic. My mother knows three people, my sisters and I, who read it in high school. So she thinks everyone did. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, we read The Outsiders. <laughs> I can't. Uh, yeah, everyone else but me read The Outsiders in high school. I never, I've still never read it. And, 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 and what was the other one that was super slashy? And then I got in trouble for running slash fic about it. 
man, I'm so upset that I can't think of the title of this book now. It's about two two boys at boarding school. Oh, oh, a separate piece. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I totally like. Oh yeah, it really is. Uh yeah, and I totally got busted for like oh. writing flashback. They're like, "This is not how this book goes. This is not." Okay. Part. I'm like, "Okay, teachers, whatever you say." Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't read it in a while, but I remember it being super gay. Yeah, it was pretty gay. So, okay, number six. <laughs> number six. Okay, number six. Oh, this is, I don't know that this is my favorite on the list, but it's the one that gives me the most joy to reread, probably. It's The Secret History by Donna Tart. Oh, it's so good. It is about a group of Latin students who murder one of their friends, Bunny. Um, and that's not a spoiler. They tell you that on the first page. And what I love about this book, well, two things. Number one, pretty much the most suspenseful thing in the world to me because I'm a guilt sinkhole is a story about how someone has done something wrong and you're waiting to see if they're going to get found out. And that's, that's this book. So it's very suspenseful. You are, you are a guilt sinkhole. That's a wonderful description. (laughs) You love all the stories about guilt. I really do. (laughs) I really do. Um, And then also what's amazing to me is that somehow the author makes you want to be on the side of the murderers oh no so like yeah they probably should kill him like what choice do they really have oh, okay wow <laughs> that's hardcore yeah no it's really it's really interesting and even when you're reading it and you know that they're being completely amoral you're still like mm, but he's very annoying they should probably they should probably kill him oh, God. so i think i've heard of this book before but the problem is i got this book confused with the secret Oh, no. Oh, yes. no. Yes, I did. I've got, <laughs> I thought they were the same thing. Oh, my God. This happens to me all the time. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's a really unfortunate thing for it to be mixed up with. Yes, I know, right? So I think I was at the bookstore and it was on sale and I was looking at it. I'm like, oh, that's that one book. But they said it's like a cult. So I'm not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel so, so sorry for it. What's her name? Donna Tart. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Donna Tart, for getting you confused <laughs> with this other author. Well, you should definitely read The Secret History. It's I haven't read The Secret, but it seems like they're very different. Yes, uh, they're quite, <laughs> quite, 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 quite different. <laughs> All right, next is... Okay, so this is the last one okay. on my official list. All right. uh, it is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. Ah, you're going to be so happy because I own this book. Aha! Have you read it? I have not read it. I own it, but I have I've owned it for several years, but I'm a complete slacker and I have zillions of books. No, you have zillions of books. Well, uh, I'll just briefly say when I say that it's a book about a con and it's also about lesbians in Victorian England, everyone's already obviously going to be in. So I can pretty much stop. But I will also say it is one of the best plotted books that I've ever read. And just watching how she unfolds all the twists and turns is so, so fun. Yeah, I really just need to prioritize it because really everybody loves it. Like everybody I talk to loves it. <laughs> it's so good. It's really I good. I've never heard somebody go, nope, hated it. Never. Well, and that's because it has it has all the things. It has a good plot. It has good characters and it has good writing. And lesbians. And lesbians. Yeah. And a con. I love all these things. Well, haven't I read this book yet? I know. It's so good. <sighs> yeah. I'm a reading failure, but that's okay. I'm going to rectify no, it. This, <laughs> this is why you gave me this list. So yes. I, can, I can improve myself in literary fiction. <laughs> okay. So you have two addendum items. Okay. Yes. I have two addendum items. And they're both really good. It's not that I read... What percentage would that... What, what is two out of nine? It's not that I... It's not that I read 20% rapey books. These are just really good books that happen to have rape in them. A lot. Um, wait, I, we have to stop. I have to be impressed that you did that math in your head right there. No, I didn't. I did two out of nine. And I was like, eh, it's close enough to 20%, whatever. No, you just, but you just went, you just went for it. And listen, I can't do that. I have too much math anxiety. So I'm just going to give you kudos right now. Well, until you called attention to it, I was hoping nobody would notice. No, I have to call and attention to like, it. And they're just like, Jenny's probably right. Who knows? You it doesn't matter. She, you, you, you rounded <laughs> up. You went for it. Like you were, yeah. you went for it with the confidence of a mediocre white dude. <laughs> that's yeah. That's what I strive for in my math yeah, talk. So okay, continue, continue. <laughs> okay, all right. So these two. Um, the first one is the color purple by Alice Walker. It is set in rural Jim Crow Georgia. So there's a lot of race-based violence. Um, there's also a whole bunch of child abuse and rape. And if I hadn't read this when I was 17, I probably never would have. So I'm glad I did, because it's an amazing book. It's about a woman called Celie who has just dealt a shit hand of cards in her life. And it's about how she manages to find a way to lead a life of joy. 
and it is a Pulitzer Prize winner, also lesbians in it, and just a really, really stunning book. Really one of my favorite books of all time. Um, okay, and then the second one is a more recent discovery of mine called The People in the Trees by Hanya Yanagihara. Uh, it's super weird. It's about a scientist called Norton Perina who discovers a type of turtle that if you eat the meat of the turtle, uh, your body will live forever. And I, it's kind of hard to describe, but when I was reading it, I felt like I had never read a book before. Wait, we need to, we need to rewind a bit and go, how many turtles die? Oh, all of them. All of them in this book? Yeah. Okay. Well, what I like about it um, is it, it is a book about, it, it strenuously critiques the way white dudes think they own every damn thing. So oh, I'm, good. Okay. <laughs> I'm obviously here for that. Yes. Um, but there is child sexual abuse in it that's pretty graphic. And turtle eating, where all the turtles are consumed. Yeah, all the turtles do die. Yes. That is very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> the author is from Hawaii, and she was in part writing about themes of colonization and white people taking control of every damn thing. It's true. Listen, I need to go back and add like add an addendum to my list, to my requirements. Uh, I don't want books with rape or with turtles that die. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go back a few days. <laughs> I know. Wait, now I have to scroll through my through my list and see if there's any turtle deaths in my other. I don't think so. No, I think that's really like that's a really niche, really specific. Uh, I'm just looking at my list and being like, there are animal deaths, though. <laughs> no, I'll be fine. I'm just, just giving you a hard time. It's a good list. It's a good list. I liked it. See, I wasn't like, meh, about any of it. Well, you haven't read it yet, so. Who well, knows? we'll see. Like, maybe I should just go down the list and start reading that and then like, grade you at the end. <laughs> Here is this assigned reading list from Jenny, and this is what I think of her list-making abilities. 2.5 stars. Oh, no, I would never give you 2.5 <laughs> stars. Well, maybe that's what I deserved, you know? But I would never do it. I would probably just be like, uh, Jenny, I need another list. <laughs> that would be fine. You should feel free to do that. <laughs> uh, thank you. This is going to be great. I have so many books to check out. I'm not, now I'm curious about like how many of these books my library is going to have. Like, I'm curious about it. I think, I, I mean, I think, okay, if I had to pick which ones they wouldn't, I would guess Tell the Wills I'm Home, White is for Witching, and that's it. I think they would have the other ones. I know Those they have um, Adiche's books. Yeah, because it was. I think it was an Oprah book club book. Yeah, they have all her books. So. Yeah, it's so. Uh, I guess I'm gonna see you, and I'll let you know. I will update you. Okay, sounds and, good. And my listeners, so because they're gonna be like, "Will Renee make it through all these literary fiction books? <laughs> she has all this <laughs> other stuff to read." Yeah, I'm sure what you needed was more and more recommendations. Exactly what I needed. I don't have it, literally 17 books sitting here waiting for me to, write <laughs> to read them for like work. <laughs> Yeah, I have like 40 books out of the library right now. Oh my god. That's so amazing. Okay, I, I feel better because I have like five. <laughs> and only two of them are only two of them are overdue. <laughs> well, none of mine are overdue, but I have renewed a bunch of them a bunch of times. Yeah, my library doesn't let us do that anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can only well, renew my... it once. Aw. You can, you, like, for like new books, you can renew it once and you get three extra days, I think. And oh, then. Man. For books you, that that you check out regularly, you have a month, and then you can renew them for two extra weeks, but then you have to take them back. So you can only have them out for a maximum of six weeks. Oh, man. I think we can have ours out for a maximum of nine. I was just on someone's blog who was saying their public library lets them renew books ten times. Their public library. Oh, my God. No. I can't even imagine that. That's so much. I know. Just buy the book. Like if, you, like, if you're going to check it out that much, just buy it. Jenny falls silent because my academic library does actually let you renew your book 10 times. Okay, well, academic books are different because they charge you like $800 and a kidney for them. Okay. They do also. Yeah, it's not true. Now that we have discussed all our topics and you've made me a list, we are going to talk about Rex. And as the guest, you get to go first. You're welcome. Okay. Um, so the reason I was a trifle reticent to discuss this earlier uh, is that I was always planning to recommend The Raven King and also The Raven Cycle more broadly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see. I see your game now. <laughs> this is a series of books by Maggie Steve Otter. Uh, the fourth one, The Raven King, the fourth and final one, The Raven King, just came out uh, on April 26th. And they are amazing books. You should all read them. I'm not going to say it's the best YA series I've ever read, but maybe. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. I mean, they're really good. Um, they are about friendship, and also they are a quest narrative. And having read the last one, I will say that both the friendship 
and the quest are resolved to my enormous satisfaction. They are also about privilege and family in really fascinating ways as somebody who is from the South. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. It doesn't flatten all of the South into one type. No, it's wonderful. She does such a great job. And I'm so happy that she represented the South in such a like a really nuanced way. Yep. Uh, She does such a good. She does such a good job. I don't even know. I haven't read The Redding King yet. I have only read the first three. And now it's all finished. Anna has been putting it off because she wanted to wait until it was finished. And I understand one, that. I do I, under- that I do understand this, but like guys, uh, if you don't buy a book, uh, they might not get to finish it. Yeah. So, but Anna's fine because she will go and buy the book and just wait. That's okay. So yes, uh, now she has no excuse because it's all finished and I can make her read it. I'm so excited. I have badgered to my knowledge, at least three people into reading this series through my Twitter and blog based enthusiasm for the Raven King. So there, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm doing good work. There was one person who read the first book and said it was like a, like the greatest fantasy book that he'd read so far Aww. that year. Um Justin Landon reviewed the Raven Boys. And I am waiting for him to read the rest of the series, but he's oh like Oh my god, I know so many more things to come. I'm just like Justin, please <laughs> not, he doesn't listen to this podcast because I think he's too busy. But like, yeah. I just want to—I sometimes just want to send him emails going, "Justin, please just finish the series. It's done now. You can read it in a weekend. It's YA. You can do this because it's, it's so good." He liked the first one so much, and he came at it from a really different perspective because you know he's a dude, and yeah. this is a book about like male friendship in a lot of ways and deconstructing how male friendship works. And so I just, like, he read the first one. I'm like, no, don't stop there. What are you doing? Yep. I just didn't finish it. It's so good. Well, I am in this situation right now where two of my Twitter friends are uh, live tweeting me. They're reading, their buddy reading it for the first time. And they keep tweeting at me to be like, oh, my God, this thing just happened. And it is the best. I need to get through, like, two more workbooks. And that because I feel really bad because I owe I owe people reviews and I have to get through them. I've been so sick and I have. You've to been catch so up. sick. And so, but once I'm done with those, don't worry, I'm taking a wreck. I'm gonna dive in. Okay, excellent. I'm gonna so read what's... it in one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your wreck? Uh, predictably, although we haven't mentioned it yet, I'm going to wreck a video game. Uh, can you I know... guess what it is? Yes, you can try. <laughs> is is it Avengers Academy? Uh, you're totally right. Good work. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, okay, it's like an, it's an Android slash iOS game. You can play it on your iPad or iPhone or your Google gadgets, I guess. I don't know what Android huh? runs on. <laughs> like, I'm an iPhone. I'm sorry. I'm an Apple person. I'm one, I'm one of those. But it's so cute. It's from Tinyco, and I guess they've done other games like this. But it is adorable. It takes the Marvel characters and puts them into like a high school situation. But it's a high school for superheroes. It is so cute. Oh my god, I'm dying. I like I I have I have never had occasion to bring this up on a podcast before, but high school AUs are my favorite thing in this life. Oh, you would love this game. So <laughs> the like the premise is like there's like some there's like fog and they're like trying to solve the mystery of this fog, but there's other things going on and they're fighting with like Hydra and AIM and there's like you start out with Tony and Jan and Loki and uh, for some reason, this, this game, I'm just like, wow, I really ship Tony and Loki. What's happening? <laughs> I did not expect this. But the premise is, like, you get missions, and all the missions have times on them. So, like, you get a mission. It's an easy mission. One character does th- something for one minute, and the other character does another thing for a minute. And then you complete it, and you get, like, money and items and experience, and you level up. And some missions are, like, three hours long, and, and the other missions are, like, 15, and it's, it's, it's a time-based thing. Mm-hmm. And then your quests are the same way, but quests move the storyline. So quests, like, I think I just finished a quest that was, like, two characters. One character had a 30-minute assignment, and another one had a four-hour assignment. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny and cute. Disclaimer, it is definitely, like, a free-to-play game, so mm-hmm. they nag you for money constantly. And you can only, like, there's some characters that are only available if you pay for them. Boo. And, like, right now, I think, I really want Quake and Spider-Woman, Jess, but... Oh, I'm, I love Jessica Drew. And I'm not paying for them, though. So, like, yeah, but no. you get plenty of other characters that you don't have to 
like pay for. You just have to and earn as them you time. yeah, as you go along, you like unlock new characters, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, you get like, to play. I yeah. have like I have Kamala now and Steve, <gasps> Steve, and I was so I'm so super excited about Kamala because she's pretty new. I yeah, that's unlocked, amazing. I just unlocked this character called Taskmaster, who I don't even know what this is. He's like nope. some, He's like some kind of minor villain. Oh, okay. Doesn't even sound remotely familiar. Slash antihero, and he sounds like a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) It's very weird. But the game is so, so cute and time-consuming. Although, technically, you can, like, you can have self-restraint. Okay. You can. If you say so. You can. Like, if you... (laughs) But would I? I mean, the first week I had the game, no. (laughs) But I've even, like, I've, like, leveled off. I'm, like, I check on it a few times a day. Okay. And... Uh, just set everybody up on missions and then put it down and come back a few hours later. And it works out pretty okay. Okay. Thank you for so much. Oh my coming. gosh, thank you for having me on. This was so fun. Finger happy hour. And hopefully hopefully if you read uh see, I'm not expecting you to like all of my literary fiction starter pack, but if you liked like four of them, I'd be super excited. So all so that's your that's your goal. Four of them. My goal. Four is my goal. Yeah. Four is your goal out of seven. Yeah. Plus the extra two. Yeah. Out of nine maybe. You can you know. It's up well, to you. I'm not going to read the two extra until like later. I need a break. Like I said, I just read no, the obsession totally by Nora Roberts. And I'm just like, whoa, Nora Roberts. I need to read a break. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I I never read. I almost never read books with rape in them at all. And if a rape scene starts, I'll just stop reading. Yeah. So I completely understand. Where can people find you online? Where can people find me? Yes, uh, I uh, blog and have a books podcast at readingtheend.com and I am on Twitter as Reading the End and I'm also on Goodreads as Gin Jenny which is my uh, I I podcast with another girl named Jenny so we had to make up alcoholic beverage names for ourselves to just differentiate us. Yeah, uh, P.S. guys her podcast is super cute. They intro it be like, welcome to Reading the End the demo- like, how do you say it? The, the demographically similar Jennies. <laughs> yes, it's so adorable. Your podcast intro is so cute. And you recently got new music, which is adorable. Yes, our beautiful new song. We love it so much. So if you're looking for cute new bookish podcast, you can go listen to Jenny's podcast. Yes, stop by. Ask us questions. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on Finger Hockey Oh, Thank hours. you for having me. Y'all are amazing. Oh, thanks. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next episode. Bye. Bye. Fangirl Happy Hour is Anna Grillo and me, Renee Williams. I'm also our producer. You'll find links to some of our discussion topics in our show notes at fangirlhappyhour.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr and Facebook at fangirlhappyhour. One long word, no spaces. You can chat with us on Twitter at fangirlpodcast. You can also find us under our personal accounts at booksmugglers and at Renee. Our music is by Boxcat Games. Our logo is by the very talented Era. You can commission them at justera.tumblr.com. For both myself and Anna, thanks for listening. See you next episode. When I was a kid, I used to, because uh, I'm Catholic, and when I was a kid, I used to imagine that I would disguise myself as a boy and become a priest and then ultimately become the Pope. And then once I was the Pope, I would reveal myself and be like, now I'm going to change everything and you can't stop me because I'm the Pope. 
everyone would think I was conservative because that'd be what I've been pretending all this time. And then I get elected pope and I'd be like, bitches, birth control is legal now and being gay. It's the greatest dream ever. (laughs) (laughs) You're like Ripley from Lumberjanes. (laughs) Thank you. Like literally. Like, phenomenal cosmic power, and you give everybody a kitten, except in this case, <laughs> you're giving everybody, like, socialized health care. 